today. Um, as I uh, bring the message, as, as folks listen, I pray that you would help me to uh, um, handle the text right and um, be faithful to what it has to say. And, and I pray that folks would hear what hear from you in all of this, hear from you in, in the scriptures and in, you know, in, in the message today. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present today and that we would uh, just glorify you in the time that we're going to spend uh, just in teaching. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I, uh, I got up at uh, 4.30 this morning. Um, I am not a morning person. I know some of y'all are probably shocked by that. And I know there are farmers in the room who are saying 4.30, that late? And that's fine. <laughs> um, I, I was a youth minister for uh, forever, and uh, I got into youth ministry because, uh, because people expect you to get up at about noon. Um, oh, that and God called me or something, I don't know. Was, um, but the hours were great. Um, and so, like, like um, early mornings are not my thing, and... and um, as a part of my, my daily routine, though, like I, I figured out that if I get up early before the children get up, I can, I can get things done and I can have quiet time and everything else. Um, and, and so um, I, I set an alarm, and I haven't owned an alarm clock in, I don't know, I don't even remember owning an alarm clock last time like I owned one. I, my wife's got one and I don't, and I because I, like I've discovered the problem that I have is when my alarm clock goes off, what do I do? I hit the snooze button or I turn the alarm off outright, right? Like it does the basic job of waking me up. But um, beyond the basic job of waking me up, like I then have to take the next step, right? And get out of bed or turn a light on or something. And, and uh, actually we have a dog that he's kind of a puppy and he does very well in that regard. Like he gets up at 3.30, 4.30 every day. And, and I've discovered that, um, he may have to go to the bathroom, but if I let him sleep on the bed, he'll sleep an extra hour or two. And so there's a, even a snooze button there. Like, I've got to, I got to want to get out of bed. And the problem is that often I don't want to get out of bed, right? Like, bed is warm and it's comfortable. It was, what, negative 10 when I got up, according to, according to my app. And, and, and I, I, uh, I got up at 4.30 and I looked at it and I said, man, it is too cold. I'm going back to sleep, you know, and I, but I didn't. And I did all my things, um, um. But as I, as I kind of transition to the texture, I'm not talking about alarm clocks for no reason. Um, am I the only one who struggles with this thing, this alarm clock thing? Am I the only one who sleeps through it? Um, I knew a gal in college who would literally sleep through the, the buzzing alarm. And all her roommates would get out of bed at her alarm clock, and she just keeps sleeping. I mean, it was crazy. And people can do that. I, again, it's, I just turn it off. Um, so from time to time in life, God will set off little alarms in our lives, and those alarms are there for a reason. Everybody with me? Um, God will wake us up to certain facts or realities. Sometimes life just does it. You know, we'll have a heart attack or a stroke, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, maybe I shouldn't, you know, be this overweight. Maybe I should take care of myself. Maybe I should, you know, or, or in my life I had, uh, I had God wake me up years, what, almost 11 years ago from where I would kind of drifted way off course and God woke me up and I, I had a period of like getting my life back in line with what God, you know, like, like commands me to be. And, and, uh, I talked to, um, someone this week who actually I've talked to several people in the last few years who've told me just crazy stories about how God woke them up. You know, sometimes things that didn't, you know, you wouldn't even think it. 
Um, but when that alarm goes off, like it's something we have to actually pay attention to. And we're, we're working our way through John, and um, John the Evangelist is writing this book, and, and we're getting to the part, he's going to talk about John the Baptist, and we're going to talk about John the Baptist for the next few weeks. John the Baptist was like Israel's alarm clock. Everybody with me? He showed up, and he made a big splash, and his job was to wake people up and get them moving. Okay? And, and the dangerous thing about an alarm clock is you can turn it off or you can ignore it, right? And actually, eventually in John's life, he, he, uh, um, I think he preached against the king, uh, the king of Israel at the time, the guy who was the governor over the region that he was in, and that guy just cut his head off, like silence the alarm forever. You know, but this is this reality, right? Like, like the alarm happens, and we hear it or we don't hear it. And we're going to talk about that repeatedly. I wanted to open with that theme to kind of put it in your head. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about John before we jump in. Um, John's gospel so far, we've preached all over this book. My goal was to preach the whole thing. And we did the first um, half of this chapter, and it's very, like, esoteric. It's very out there and disconnected. It talks about Jesus as being the Word, right? And the Word was with God. So, like, Jesus was with God before all of creation, and the Word was God. So, like, like we were introduced to this whole idea that Jesus is the Word, and that he is like God. So he is not like God. He is God. So we talked a little bit about the Trinity the one week. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all one God, three different persons. Um, and as we get to the end of this, John addresses John the Baptist briefly. Um, and he says, hey, John was there to tell about the light, but he was not the light himself. And one of the reasons that that was, he talks about this, um, is because there were people years later who were talking about John the Baptist as though John the Baptist was like, like the Messiah, right? And they were still kind of sticking with him. And John is sort of addressing these folks like, hey, John the Baptist was awesome, but if you look at who he really was and what he really taught, you're missing the boat. Everybody with me? Um, I know this is background, like it's, it's re- review, but I wanted to cover it because all this is about to come back into play because we're going to talk about John directly. Um, the rest of John 1 is pretty much like, talks a lot about discipleship, or you can learn a lot about discipleship, and that's what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks. But the trick with discipleship is it starts with a, it starts with a start, right? Um, it starts with a beginning. We don't, uh, we don't begin to lose weight without beginning to lose weight, right? Like changing how we eat and exercising. We don't begin to read a book without picking it up and opening it. Um, and John is the alarm clock that calls us to, hey, pay attention, it's time to Time to wake up and time to take this seriously. And this beginning that John gives us, um, it's, it's, it's hard for the folks who, who want to sleep through it. Let's put it that way, and we'll talk about that as we get into it. Now, John the Baptist, so really quick, um, we talked about the previous mentions. John the Baptist is like a rock star in Israel, right? He was loved. Um, he was followed widely. When John finally got arrested, the king was afraid to execute him because he was really popular. And if you cut the head off of the guy who's really popular, the people might overthrow you. Right? And the king didn't want that. And so the king was actually afraid of John the Baptist, who was basically a homeless preacher who lived in the desert and ate locusts and honey. I mean, it's like, how do you be afraid of this guy? He had a lot of influence. But we're going to take it a step further. What the scriptures tell us about John he was significant, like he is addressed in Old Testament prophecy, right? Like we, we've talked about that. Um, he was born like due to a miracle, which is huge. Like not many people can say that. 
Um, he was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. We talked about that uh, last month during Christmas. Um, he was like sent by God directly, um, which is John 1.6. We talked about that in the beginning of this chapter. Um, he was sent to prepare a way for Jesus. Like, and then Jesus himself actually said that there was never a man greater than John the Baptist. Right? He's talking about his position in the world, by the way, not his, like, how awesome he was. Um, he's saying John the Baptist held the highest esteem position in all of the world. And so, like, as we look at John the Baptist, John the Baptist is a, is a giant. Everybody with me? And so, like, with that context, we're going to dive into John 1, 19. Um, we're 20 minutes in, and I am just getting to the text. It's a bad sign. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Um, so watch this. First off, this is the testimony of John. It's a court term, right? I talked about that way back at the beginning of John when we started talking about John. Um, there's a lot of court terms. But here's the other thing is that John is like being interviewed by basically the court police, right? Like the, the temple police, they're coming out to interview him, and John is giving his testimony. And that's, there's some irony in that. We're going to get back to it in a second, but testimony. He's going to testify to the police at this point. And um, the Jews, like this phrase, the Jews, it can sound kind of harsh. Um, John uses it repeatedly in his gospel. Sometimes he means all Jewish people. Sometimes he means authorities. Sometimes he means the priests. Sometimes he means Jesus' enemies. Like there's a various of medi- varying meanings um, in this case, it's probably the leadership of the Jewish nation. These are guys coming from the temple. Um, they have a specific job to do, right? And they are priests and Levites. Now, here's this funny little thing here, right? Probably most of them were Sadducees, right? Sadducees were rich, or only a handful of them, and they barely believed in God. Got it? Like, they were um, people who bought their position in the temple, They were corrupt all the way through, and their biggest concern in the whole world was, let's make sure that the people are happy and continue giving us money, right? And let's make sure that they don't tick off the Romans too bad. Because when the Romans get mad, they start killing people, and we don't want that. And actually, in fact, we we see it was one of the Sadducees who said, like, well, let's go ahead and make sure we get Jesus killed. Like they, they, it was the Sadducees who started that process of planning to get Jesus executed. And so like, like the Sadducees have sent out to talk to John. Um, there are some Pharisees with them, but it's probably not most of them. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, and they asked him, who are you? Well, the reason they're asking who he is is because he is immensely popular. They know he's John the Baptist, right? But they're expecting that this guy has showed up as a rabble rouser and he's probably like making some sort of crazy claims about himself. And they're trying to get a sense of what's going on. That would be the Sadducees. The Pharisees are waiting for God to do something huge in the world, right? And they are earnestly looking for God to do something huge. And so they're looking at this guy and they're saying, well, maybe he's significant, right? And you can kind of see this in the questions that they start um, asking and the way that they talk. Uh, The next verse, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Um, So that's three times. He confessed uh, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So his confession is, I am not God's chosen one, right? He It's not that he's denying that he's the chosen one. He is outright testifying to the fact that this is not who I am. 
Um, because why did he start with this? Well, probably they asked him. Okay, it's not in the text, but it's implied. Um, they come and say, who are you? And he's like, I'm not God's chosen one. I know what you're looking for. Um, now, here's the other half of this is that he's about to talk about Jesus. Um, when he talks about Jesus, this is the beginning of his confession and testimony about who Jesus is. Got it? So John is there. John is like like bold. Um, he stands up to these religious folks and he confesses. He's not like hiding. He's not anything else. But he's saying, I'm not the Christ. Um, now, Jewish folks at the time were waiting for... They were waiting for God to do something huge. And there were several guesses as to what was going to come. Everybody with me? The first guess was God is going to send a Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Now, in ancient Israel, what they would do is if you were God's chosen person, they would, like, anoint you with oil as a way of signifying that, like, this is God's chosen person. And that person was a huge deal. Um, In fact, actually, uh, David killed a man like killed the man who killed Saul, his enemy. Um, he killed the man who killed his enemy because he said, Saul was God's anointed. You can't lay a hand on God's anointed and get away with it. Like it was a big deal. And so if you had a special job from God or a special direction or a special teaching or something that you were sent out to do, you were God's anointed. And so the Jewish people were waiting for this Messiah, God's anointed, to come and deliver them. And they figured this was going to involve a big war, right? Jesus was, or The Messiah was supposed to show up as like a Rambo type to chase off the enemies and to fix the religion and everything else. They're going to set everything right. Um, Messiah, the word Messiah means anointed. The word Christ means dipped. And it basically is the Greek word for Messiah. Everybody with me? (laughs) Quick explanation as to why I use the word. I know. Um, That's a lot of detail, Eric. Can't you get to the point? Um, And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Now, they're fishing, right? They're trying to figure out who he is, and they're feeding him answers. Um, Elijah was a prophet from the Old Testament. He was um, wild, right? Like Elijah's the guy who called the fireball out of heaven to kill like the prophets of Baal. Um, Elijah's the one who, I mean, he, he was up to his elbows in crazy his entire ministry. Like, and, and it's actually very exciting stuff, like if you read it. Um, and they know certain things about Elijah. For example, they read that Elijah had a coat made out of hair and a leather belt. And they look at this guy, and John the Baptist, one of the things that we know about him is that he wore a coat made out of camel's hair and a leather belt. And they're like, well, wait a minute. He's dressing. Is he doing it on purpose? And there's kind of a double-edged sword here. Watch this, because they're like, are you trying to dress like him? Are you trying to pretend that you're Elijah? Is kind of the question the Sadducees would be asking. And the Pharisees would be like, well, are you Elijah? Um, the reason they're asking this, by the way, is because, first off, he's dressed like him. Secondly, they know that Elijah didn't die. Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. That's uh, where we get that great song. It's what was playing when they took him up. Um, true story. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, that might not be true, actually. Um, <laughs> And, and so they, there was this belief, and there's a prophecy in the Old Testament, we're going to look at it in just a second, that said that Elijah would come back to lead the people back and to restore the nation, right? And it's actually in two spots in the Old Testament. Um, he says, this is from Malachi uh, 3.1, Behold, I send my message, messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
So like this messenger's coming, he's going to announce the Lord returning to the temple and all this other stuff, right? Big deal. Um, In chapter 4, referring back to that first guy, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So Malachi predicts, look, Elijah's coming back and he's going to he's going to announce it. It's coming, right? Elijah's coming. And ah, jump two slides. Let's see if I can get back. There we go. Um, so they said, who are you? And of course, I'm not going to find it now. Um, nope. I, my wife deleted a slide. She said it was a duplicate and it wasn't. That was her fault. Um, he said, now I'll know if she listens to the sermon or not. Um, he said, I am not. And he said, are you a prophet? And he answered, no. Now, here's the funny thing. He says, I am not, very directly, right? And so he says, look, I am not the Christ. And then he says, look, I'm not, I'm not. Are you Elijah? I am not. So he gets a little more curt, right? Because Elijah is a very, in, or not Elijah, John the Baptist is a very in-your-face guy. But when he says, I am not, there's a tricky thing here. John thought very little of himself, right? John was a very humble man. Jesus... In Matthew like five, I think, or Matthew four, tells us that um, Elijah was in fact, or John the Baptist was in fact Elijah, not that he was Elijah reincarnated or Elijah come down from heaven, but that he stood in Elijah's spot and did Elijah's job, right? It was a prediction of what this guy would be like, and Jesus says John the Baptist is Elijah, come to predict the coming of the Lord, and that's me, right? And so, like, John has his job, but he doesn't even realize what he's doing, like how significant he is in relation to the Old Testament. Or if he does, he's downplaying it. So he says, I am not. And then they said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. By the way, um, I am not the Christ. I am not, no. Anybody see the pattern there? (laughs) He's getting more and more terse. He doesn't like these guys. In fact, he says some very nasty things to them in other places we see in the Gospels. In Matthew, specifically, he calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Um, just very angry sometimes with sort of the hypocrisy. So he's not gentle with these guys. So when they say, you are, the, are you the prophet? The prophet was predicted by Moses. This is back in Deuteronomy. Moses says, hey, there's going to be a prophet who comes after me, and he's going to be the man. He is going to fix everything. He's going to set everything right. And there were certain sects within the Judaism and like the, the diversified, like the um, the... Samaritans believed this, and actually the Sadducees believed this, that there was a, the prophet was coming. They didn't believe Elijah was coming back. They didn't believe in, you know, they believed that the prophet was coming. And so they asked him, are you the prophet? Well, he says no. Of course he says no, because we find out in the book of Acts that Jesus is who Moses was talking about. Right? It's in Acts 3, I think. It's in the bulletins, actually, for the weekly reading, if you want to look it up. Um, so, jumping ahead, jumping to the next verse. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They have caught on to his agitation, to his belligerence, and they have sort of thrown down the gauntlet. All right, well, then just tell us who you are, right? Testify about yourself. And the only thing that John is willing to say about himself, and this is kind of cool, he said... I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, um, this is actually, the wording is kind of a mashup of two verses, the Malachi verse, and then it's also like from Isaiah, right? He's sort of, it's a very common practice in the the New Testament. They just did that. Um, 
but he, so he says, I'm, a vo- I'm the voice. Crying out in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. There's a lot to this. I'm going to try and unpack it and do it justice. Um, first off, he says, I'm the voice. What did we hear about Jesus in the very beginning? He is the word, right? So Jesus is the word. And John's the voice, right? So John is announcing the word. Now, there's some cool stuff in that, right? So words exist in your head before you ever speak them, right? And so it is with Jesus. We see where Jesus was before John was. Jesus is forever, before eternity, always existed. Um, And so Jesus always was. Jesus is being announced. He is coming into the world. He is doing a specific ministry. But John, his job is to tell folks about him. Um, And then finally, like the word endures after you say it. Um, There's a scary reality that everything I say up here, right, everything I say up here gets recorded. And it gets put on the Internet and sometimes on CDs. So, like, um, because it's on the Internet, you can never get rid of things that are on the Internet. They're forever. And so, like, you could actually go back and catch me and, like, Eric contradict himself if you actually listen to him, um, which I highly recommend. They're good for sleeping. It helps you doze off. Um, so, like, what, what we have here is John announced, hey, I am the voice. Jesus is the word. I'm the voice. Um, and Jesus endures beyond John's life. Jesus endures beyond our lives. Let's take a moment to apply that to ourselves. Watch this. Watch this. Um, Every one of us, though not being the voice like John, every one of us carries Jesus with us, right? Every one of us represents Jesus to the folks that we encounter. Every one of us is like in the process of becoming like Jesus through sanctification. The Holy Spirit changes us. He chips out the sinful parts. He fixes the things that are broken and progressively in the process of like being a disciple, following Christ, we're to become like him. And so we take on sort of a variant of this job. Our job is to tell folks and show folks who Jesus is. Preach the gospel. Demonstrate Christ's teachings. Like show folks what a new life is. Um, and that is a big deal because it is easy to say, sure, I'll follow Jesus and then never change. Right? Or change for a little while and say, yeah, but God's okay with this stuff. What Christ calls us to is a radically different life from the one that we lead before we know him, right? To a life of discipleship and obedience and following and submission and belonging to. And like actually, John sort of demonstrates this in even what he says. He doesn't talk much about himself even though he could, right? He's got a lot to say about himself. He's got good credentials. Instead, he says, hey, all I am is the voice. I'm here to tell you. The word is what you need to pay attention to. Jesus himself is what really matters, not me. And so, like, he mentions himself in the lowest key possible way, crying out in the wilderness. Well, why is he even in the wilderness, right? If you're going to announce something to everybody in the Jewish faith, why not go to the temple? Why not go, like, to the um, capital? Why not go to the cities? Why is he out in the middle of nowhere? Um, Here's the reason. Wilderness in the Old Testament, actually throughout the scriptures, is used to represent sort of barrenness or being like abandoned um, or being in a place where like God is far away and you're about to come back to him. You see that with the Jewish people coming into the promised land, right? Like, and he's basically like what it's saying here is um, John is in the wilderness um, because all of the Jewish faith at this point is abandoned. It's become kind of an empty shell. 
It's all this outward appearance and obedience to rules, but people were dead in their hearts, right? The Pharisees are there. They tried really hard to please God, but they tried to please God by obeying and by following rules and by, like, being perfect. And eventually, because being perfect is impossible, it became, I'm just better than that guy, right? And, like, their pride just killed them spiritually. John is in the wilderness because um, there's nothing in the cities worth going to um, because the whole faith is in the wilderness because people are lost. And so he goes out and he says, you know what? I'm going to preach and I'm going to preach from a place of lost because, like, you know, we're all lost. It's roughly the equivalent of me, like, driving around last time I – or the first time I drove to Ross's house and then the next ten times I drove to Ross's house. There are no street signs out there. I swear to you, I, I could not find it. And I drove around lost for an hour. It takes like two hours to get to his house, so it took me three to get there. And like for me to drive to Ross's house, get thoroughly lost, get out of the car and say, hey, to make a point, preach in here because everybody else is lost. Pay attention. Got it? Ross's house is really far away. Um, I think Rose makes him live all the way out there. To, anyway. <laughs> Um, so what do you say about yourself? I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So make straight the way of the Lord. Um, this was, in the original context, a reference to um, prepare, like telling the Jewish people, prepare, because you're coming out of exile. You've been punished by God. You're living in exile. You are in trouble deep, but God is going to bring you back. And in Isaiah 40, that's what it means. And actually, that's where they're at now. They are like in trouble. They don't know God. They're spiritually dead. Their losses are going to get. Um, their leaders are corrupt. I mean, really corrupt. And so, like, you know, make way, you know, make straight, prepare the way. He's coming um, because they're going to come out of exile and back into the promise through Christ, right? The other thing that's happening is he's saying, prepare your hearts. It's a little like rolling out the red carpet. Um, we don't do that in Montana, I don't think. Um, but in other places, if you want to, like, really show good graces, we roll out the red carpet, and they can walk up this special carpet and keep their clothes, shoes clean or something. I don't know. Um, I don't think it works in Montana. There's too much mud here. Um, and so he's saying, be prepared. He's coming. How do we be prepared? Well, John, like in his teachings, we don't see it in this passage. In his teachings, John is telling folks, hey, if you get sin in your life, repent. Hey, if you've got areas you're in rebellion, make it right. If you've got stuff that's like wrong before God and you know it, if you're pretending things are okay but they're not, if you're looking away from your own sin, like wake up to the fact and deal with it. Repent, be baptized, and be right before God because the king is coming and you don't want to be a mess when he shows up, right? So he's preaching and preparing people's hearts for this thing that's coming. Now I'm going to hit pause here because John is the alarm clock, right? John is, is banging away in the wilderness, and he's saying, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. And some people are waking up, right? And some people are being baptized and repenting and becoming different. And there are other people that are sleeping right through it or hitting the snooze button. Um, the Pharisees, we're going to see this in a second. The Pharisees hit the snooze button. We're not interested in this. The Sadducees hit the snooze button. We're not interested in this. Um, but this can be said about people today. And I don't mean to knock on those guys. I'll tell you, I went for years lost, pretending to be a Christian at times, and still lost. And, and my alarm clock went off and off and off, and I ignored it, right? 
my conscience seared me. I was angry at myself. I wished that God would fix things, you know, and, and it didn't happen. I, I know folks, I talk to them, and they'll say, well, I hear sermons about, you know, pornography. I hear sermons about this, about stealing, about treating my wife right, about, like, actually following God and trying to be a disciple, about these things, and I don't do that stuff, and I, I you know, try not to think about it. Um, and I'm here to tell you that alarm clock, God will ring it enough times, right? But you can't ignore it forever. Um, John the Baptist is that alarm clock. And some of you all hear that alarm clock. I'm not saying, you know, any of you all in particular, I don't know your hearts. Um, but there are folks like all around us who hear that alarm. God speaks to them and says, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time to take Jesus seriously. It's time to take me seriously. And they sleep right through it. Um, if that is the case with you, do not do it. Wake up. Get moving. 24 and 25. We're going to 28, so we're almost there. Now, they have been sent from the Pharisees, meaning some of them were probably Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't control the local government. They could not have sent a group by themselves. This particular passage, there is so much debate about how to properly read it. Uh, My understanding is the best take is some of them were Pharisees. And they asked, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. So they're saying, hey, if you got no authority, why are you baptizing folks? Now, this might also seem weird. Baptism was not unheard of. People baptized at that time. But there were only certain folks who got baptized, right? The only people that got baptized were pagans who were converting to the Jewish faith, right? And John was baptizing Jewish people, only Jewish people. And so, like, John is out there. He's baptizing the wrong people. Actually, let me correct that. There was a group of folks, the Essenes, who baptized themselves every day, right? They lived in the wilderness because they said, oh, make, way, make straight the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Let's go live in the wilderness. We'll baptize ourselves every day, and we'll be perfect. And, like, everybody else will go to hell. <laughs> they moved out, which is still spiritually dead. I'm telling you, it's awful. Um, so, like, they're saying the Pharisees are a little, like, incredulous. They're like, where do you get off baptizing Jews? We're perfect. We're from the right family. Where do you get off? You know, where do you have authority? What, what says you can do this? You can't just do that. And they asked again, if you're not Christ or Elijah or the prophet, like, where do you get off? Now, John, almost certainly tired of answering questions, not that interested in talking about himself, answers, I baptize with water. That's the most he says about himself. That's it. I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to tie. Um, And I apparently cut off the last of that verse somehow. Um, And he'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. Um, That's weird that I did that. Um, Basically, he says, listen, I'm baptizing with water, but there's one who's standing amongst you, and you don't know him. But he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He basically slaps them in the face, like in conversation at this point. He says, hey, you don't know the one who's coming because he's God, and you don't know God, people. (laughs) He's saying, you people don't know God from your own elbow. You cannot possibly connect with this guy, and he's going to do something bigger than me. You're bothered by my baptizing with water. Wait until this guy shows up. Um, he sticks a thumb in their eye and he says, there's another one here. The next 
week we're going to look at him talking about Jesus specifically. But what is happening here is that John is stepping up and he's saying, um, God is here and you don't know God, right? And here's where this gets tricky. I've talked to religious folks who will say to me, I know so much about God um, that surely I'm spiritual. But that's not true, right? Knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. I know all sorts of things about Teddy Roosevelt. Read a couple books. Really great man, right? Do I know Teddy Roosevelt? Nope. The only one here old enough to know Teddy Roosevelt is Craig. And I don't think he ever met him. <laughs> Love you, Craig. Um, <laughs> I, knowing about someone does not make you know them. Here's the other end of this is um, loving someone doesn't mean you know them, Right? I love my wife from the day I met her. I was head over heels crazy about her. I don't think I really knew her for years, right? I knew more and more about her. I knew her better and better, but I didn't really know her for a long time. Um, the reality is that there are folks who know things about God. They know all kinds of things, but in their hearts they're dead, right? That's the Pharisees who are standing there. You don't know them, right? That's what he says to them. You don't know them. There are people who know things. But then on the other end, there are people who love love God. I love God, but they don't know God. They don't know anything about him. They couldn't tell you anything about him. They, you know, like, and they start to make things up about him. They say, oh, well, Jesus, he's really like this. Jesus is cool with my sin. That's all right. He died for me. I'm good. That's like a credit card that belongs to my parents. I can use it forever. That's not really knowing or following Jesus, right? Um, it's that spiritual but not religious thing, right? You know, everybody's spiritual. We're born with a spirit. Um, in reality, knowing Jesus is a different conversation, and that's what John is tossing out there. You folks don't know him. You have to fall. You, know, you have to know who he is. You got to love him. You got to obey him. You got to be his. Um, belong to him. You've got to be saved by him. By the way, because we don't earn it, um, Jesus comes to die for us. We cannot earn it. Um, we are his because he buys us out of our slavery to death. He brings us back to life from our spiritual death. Um, and finally, he says, by the way, the strap of whose sandal I was un, not worthy to untie. A student to a rabbi was commanded to do everything that a slave would do except untie his shoes. Right? Isn't that weird? There are lawsuits in, like, Old Testament, like, like, or actually even in New Testament, lawsuits between Jewish folks, like in the extra literature that exists for the Jewish people, um, where people, like, file lawsuits about feet-related stuff. My wife wanted to wash my feet. No, I'll sue you before I let you to do that. That's a great marriage. Um, because the Jews took their feet very seriously, and to touch somebody else's feet was considered to be very lowly, right? The lowest slave in the house washed feet and undid his master's sandals. Um, but students didn't do it. Most slaves didn't do it. Um, and John, standing there, the greatest man who ever lived, I stand in there saying, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I am lower than that. And these guys would have been taken aback, right? Who is this guy you don't know? Because John is humble. John has woken up to the reality that to belong to Jesus means he increases, we decrease. We become more like him through the process of discipleship and following. Um, we are called like to be his disciples. We're called to, to learn to be like him, and that is where we're heading in this life. Um, that's what we're designed for. Um, my last verse here, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. 
Um, now, real quick, uh, I don't like geography very much, but I'm going to talk about it. Bethany. Um, in John's book, he mentions it repeatedly. Bethany is where uh, Lazarus is raised from the dead. It's where, like, like, like eight times, it turns up in very significant parts of Jesus' life. And so John is foreshadowing, right? Because Jesus keeps coming back to this place, um, to Bethany, for whatever reason. Actually, it's probably because it was where Joshua brought the people back into the promised land, or into the promised land, but that's neither here nor there. Um, well, what does this mean for us? First off, I'm going to say, um, if there are alarms going off in your life, don't ignore them, right? Every time I see, uh, every time I see uh, Russell Darlington, he reminds me of a sermon I preached where I was driving, talked about driving back from the Durgas and my exhaust pipe broke off. And I was dragging this exhaust pipe and I'm driving down that gravel road doing 70 with my exhaust pipe dragging. And I heard this noise and I thought, man, something's wrong. And in response, I did something brilliant. Turn the radio up. <laughs> because then I couldn't hear it. And then I hit a rock. And that exhaust pipe stopped and it, my car pole vaulted over it. Um, and then I was in a whole other level of trouble. Um, some of y'all are hearing that noise. Some of y'all have the check engine soon light on. Spiritually, like, things aren't right, right? Um, if you are in that spot, do not hit the snooze button. Do not turn the radio up. Pay attention to what John is saying, right? Um, pay attention to what the Spirit is prompting you toward because we've been given an amazing gift in Jesus. And the new life that we get by following him, by submitting to him, by obeying him, by becoming new is worth it. I'm the man today because I follow Jesus and he's changed me. Um, if you'd seen me 15 years ago, you wouldn't pick me out of a crowd um, because Jesus changes us. Not because I'm awesome, but because Jesus is awesome. Um, we're going to close in prayer. My challenge for you today is um, look at yourself and ask, like, first off, am I a disciple? Am I trying to grow spiritually? Am I trying to become like Jesus? Or am I just sort of handing it off and ignoring it? Um, ask yourself, um, are there alarms going off? Am I trying to ignore things? Um, am I shortchanging God? Um, and if you're in the right spot, ask yourself, am I the voice? Um, or am I standing up and trying to take the full face view, right? Everybody see me. Um, I, I, I say this seriously. I want to challenge you. Um, God calls us to so much more. He wakes us up from awful places, and it's awesome that he does that. Um, if he's doing it with you today, if he's doing it with you any other day, take it seriously, follow it, pay attention. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'll let you all go. I know it's been long. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us today. And everyone here, um, I thank you for them being here. Um, I pray that uh, they would have heard from you at least a little bit today, Lord, that they would have um, encountered your spirit, that they would have um, um, heard something that, that uh, helped them draw closer to you or know you better, Lord. And I pray that if there are folks here who don't know you, that you would just clang the alarm in their ear every day until they wake up and begin to follow you and begin to know you, Lord. Um, and and if there are those of us who, who don't know you or who are pretending that we do or who are trusting in our work or our religion or our feelings to save us, Lord, that they would take you seriously, um, that they would put away that stuff and follow Christ. Um, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.